invite you to take your Bibles again, turn them to Joshua chapter number 1. Joshua chapter number 1. Although we'll be looking at the book of Joshua for the next, and just to be honest with you, it's probably going to be over a year and a half that we're in Joshua on Wednesday nights, because uh, there are 24 chapters in the book of Joshua, but I think that you guys will find this a really helpful study, and I love really getting deep into a book Uh, really getting deep into God's Word. I hope that you guys will as well. But we cannot study the book of Joshua and the person of Joshua without studying first the person of Moses. Now, you guys know who Moses is, or at least you've seen The Prince of Egypt, right? Because that's a great movie. I think my wife and I are going to watch that soon. That's a good, she's never seen it. But you should watch Prince of Egypt. It's inaccurate in some places, and we might even discuss that as we discuss a little bit of the life of Moses. But God, at this point, as we read Joshua chapter 1, let's just read verse number 1 together. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying... So we see here that there is a person that comes before Joshua, and his name is Moses. Uh, Moses had been used mightily by God, and we're going to discuss a little bit of the background of the person called Moses. The people of God were in enslavement in the place of Egypt. Uh, They were in Egypt all the way from Abraham. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, Abraham's pretty early in the Scriptures, right? Uh, We're talking the first... Uh, I think after Genesis 10, Abraham is there, Uh, maybe even before that. I didn't look at that before this, Uh, but Abraham is there. In Genesis chapter number 12, the Abrahamic covenant promise is given to Abraham. Abraham's right at the beginning of the Bible, and you could see the people of Israel weaved all the way through the Pentateuch, and then finally you get here to Joshua. By the way, it's easy to find Joshua. It's the sixth book of the Bible, the Pentateuch, right? The first five, Penta five. Those are the first five books of the Bible that who wrote? Moses, that Moses wrote under the influence of Christ, and now we see his predecessor, Joshua. Uh, The Pharaoh in Egypt at the time of the enslavement feared that the people of Israel would turn against him. So uh, the Pharaoh gradually made slaves in the land. So when Abraham dwelt in Egypt, it was not a place of enslavement right away. Sometimes we get in our mind that the people of Israel for thousands and thousands of years were enslaved at the place of Egypt, but they weren't. In fact, that was just a place of dwelling for them at first. But as the Pharaoh uh, at that day began to get more and more concerned about the people of Egypt, uh, the people of Israel. So he saw all the children of Israel, he saw all these people, uh, these people, the descendants of Abraham, that they were outgrowing the Egyptians in Egypt. And the Pharaoh began to get concerned. um, And he started to place restrictions on the people. And the biggest restriction that he placed was that every person as a descendant of Abraham, had to kill their firstborn son. You know the story. Moses' mother gave birth uh, to the firstborn son. That was Moses. And after three months of age, she could no longer hide him from the people of Egypt anymore. He was going to be slaughtered. Literally, they would take the babies that had just been born, the firstborn males, and they would throw them in a river. That's what they would do. Uh, So Moses had been kept secret for three months, and Moses' mom realized, I can't keep him secret any longer, and they're going to kill him. So what did she do? She weaved a basket uh, to put her son in and put him down the river. And as soon as the son was released down the river, who found Moses? The daughter of Pharaoh. The daughter of Pharaoh, and this is just crazy how God's word interacts. And if you read uh, the whole Old Testament, it's really crazy how it weaves together. But we see here Pharaoh's daughter actually gets this little Hebrew boy, and his name was Moses. 
And she says, I can't nurse this boy. I can't feed this boy. Let me pay a Hebrew woman to feed him. And guess who the Hebrew woman ended up being that she hired? Moses's mom. It's pretty cool, right? So not only was he not slaughtered, but then he had the influence also of his mother. And Moses, for the next couple of, or a couple of decades, uh, lived in luxury. Uh, he lived a, a wonderful, affluent life there in Egypt, and he was highly regarded in the house. But one day Moses did something. Moses killed one of uh, the Egyptians, and then he hit him in the sand. Well, apparently he was not very good at hiding people in the sand because it was the very next day that he was found out and Moses fled to Nebo. And Moses spent 40 years in the deserts in Nebo. And after all of those years, God uh, sees him down the road. Uh, and he's going down this road and then all of a sudden we get the story of the burning bush, right? That never actually burns up. And Moses comes across it and the bush talks to him. Crazy, right? If a bush talked to you, you're on drugs, right? Because that's not how God talks to us anymore, okay? So don't do that. Uh, but a bush began to talk to Moses, and of course, it was the presence of God. It was God himself speaking directly to Moses. And Moses said, I've got a plan for you, Moses. You are going to lead my people out of Egypt and into the promised land. And that's exactly what Moses did at first. Moses went back, and with the power of God, was given a staff, uh, and he went back and he went into Pharaoh's courts and he said, let my people go. Right? You guys remember this? Don't zone out now. Don't zone out now. So he goes and he says, let my people go. Pharaoh says no, so he sends a plague. Pharaoh again said no, so he sends another plague. And we're not going to go through all the plagues, but he sent all of these uh, amazing plagues on Egypt to where finally the last plague was that the children of the Egyptians would die, the firstborn anyways. And then Pharaoh's son dies. And then finally we see Pharaoh say, fine. Get out of Egypt. So now Moses victoriously is marching away from Egypt and he gets to the what sea? The Red. Very good. Very good. He gets to the Red Sea. And you could see the people of Israel, even at the Red Sea, start to be a little concerned about this, right? Uh, they've lived in the comforts of Egypt. They were slaves, sure, but they got food every day. They knew exactly what their job was, where they fit in. They were used to this life even though they were in enslavement. So Moses takes them, and of course we see the parting of the Red Sea as Moses steps out at the edge of the waters and places his staff down, and literally the waters part. The, the Israelites walk through uh, the middle as, as though by dry land, the Bible says, and they walk through the other side. Pharaoh changed his mind in bitterness and finally decided to go after those people. So while the, the land was dried up in the middle of the lake, Pharaoh's people went through it, and then the people of Israel had exited the place of, uh, of the of the river, and then all of a sudden, Moses makes the waters go back, and all of them die. All of the evil people die. Isn't that crazy? If you were following Moses, wouldn't this be a sight to see? You're like, wow, this dude just split a sea, right? This guy's got a staff that turned uh, all these plagues, and it, this is a mighty man of God, and he leads them through uh, the wilderness for 40 years. And how does he lead them? The people start to complain that it's hot outside. By the way, this was a mark of the people of Israel. They complained as they went through the wilderness. Man, the people of Israel remind me sometimes of teenagers, right? They're walking through the wilderness and literally manna is coming from heaven for them to eat. And day three, they're like, really God, manna again? You're going to feed me manna again? And they're saying it's hot. So God says, okay. You're going to travel 
with a cloud over your head. Literally, I'm leading you to the promised land with a cloud over your head by day and with a pillar of fire moving through the wilderness at night to to lead you through the promised land. Now, I believe that their wandering through the wilderness is somewhat can be a a picture of our Christian life at points. When we're baby Christians, we all go through a wilderness wandering, right, to see how we're going to live. And these people had a decision to make. Am I going to obey God or am I going to complain and want to go back to Egypt? There are several points that the people wanted to go back to their enslavement in Egypt. And man, isn't that a picture of our sin? We're saved, right? We're living for God one day, and then we start to backslide some, and then we want to just go back to our old sinful lifestyle. But God doesn't want them there, right? Did you know this? Because of the people's complaining, Moses had led them, by the way, to the edge of the promised land. And then Moses, one day, he gets angry at a commandment of God. Uh, The people are are begging him for water, and Moses, with anger, uh, strikes a rock, and then water flows from it. By the way, it's interesting that God still allowed the water to flow from that rock, right? So Moses, in his anger, gets mad, and he strikes a rock, and water comes out uh, for the people to drink. And God tells Moses, because of this sin, you will not enter into the promised land. And man, you might say, God is done with Moses, right? God wants nothing to do with Moses anymore. God probably hates Moses now. God doesn't really love Moses, because Moses just did this great sin against these people. No. Moses, at the very end of his life, God brings him into a mountain, and God lets him physically see the promised land. And the Bible says in the book of Genesis, or in the book of Exodus, uh, actually it's in the book of Deuteronomy, that God physically buried Moses after his death. Moses was a great figure of leadership. By the way, it's been 40 years. All of the parents that were complaining are now dead. And a new generation has come, and a new leader is now here, and his name is Joshua. So I want you to to understand how Joshua feels coming into this. How Joshua feels coming behind Moses as this great leader. Do you think he was nervous? Do you think those were some big sandals to fill? Right? Those are some pretty big shoes to fill, right? Moses, that's a pretty good joke. I've been waiting to say that one. But anyways, uh, don't you think that he was a little bit nervous, that he was a little bit feeble-minded, that he was a little bit weak in his thinking and thinking, God, I can't lead like Moses led. By the way, Moses had the same thoughts. Moses gave God excuse after excuse. Uh, Lord, I stutter. Lord, I do this. So God says, okay, let's bring Aaron. Aaron, you help Moses. And here is Joshua, and God is encouraging him in this passage. Here stands Joshua. Moses, as verse number one says, is dead. Can you imagine the leadership weight that was left on his shoulders? He must have thought, I'm inadequate. I can't lead these people. If I'm not, I'm not your guy, I am not strong enough. Now let's look at Joshua 1, 1 through 9. Let's look at how God responds to this. How does God respond to Joshua saying, I'm not enough, Lord? Lord, I I am not capable uh, to fill the shoes or the sandals of Moses. Lord, I can't lead these people. By the way, God chose Joshua. Moses didn't choose Joshua to lead the people. God chose Joshua to lead these people. How does God talk to him? Let's look at the first nine verses. Verse number two, we've already read verse number one. Moses is dead. Verse number two, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan thou, and all this people unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you. 
And as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and to this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. For unto you this people shall divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not to it from the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. The, this book of the law, you've heard this verse certainly before, verse number 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do, all, to, to do according to all that is written therein, and then thou shalt make the way prosper. And then thou shalt have good success. God desires that we would courageously claim that which we already own. Let me say that again for those of you that are taking notes. God desires that we would courageously claim that which we already own. The story is told of a man in Bolivia named Thomas Martinez. Uh, Thomas was a, a nice enough guy and a wealthy enough guy for the, for the place of Bolivia, and he lived a fairly good life until he was divorced from his wife. And it was many years later, after his divorcement, that he became homeless. And Thomas wandered around the streets for many years as a beggar, completely homeless, until one day, his wife Inez, uh, his ex-wife Inez, passed away. Uh, Inez has passed away, and because she passed away, there were some cops that were going to come give Thomas some news. Two cops began to search out where Thomas might be staying, and they couldn't find any address, of course. So they started to look the streets for this man, Thomas Martinez. They had heard that maybe he was on rough times, maybe he was homeless, maybe he was in debt and didn't have any money. So they began to look in the streets, and finally, they found Thomas. And they began walking up to Thomas, and, and from the distance they say, Thomas, we've got some news for you. And Thomas began to run. And the men were like, why is he running? Thomas thought he was going to be arrested for some reason for being a beggar. So Thomas began to run, and they've not found Thomas to this day. You see, the, story that you, the part of the story you don't understand is that Inez had passed away, but she had left a $6 million inheritance to Thomas in her will. And Thomas ran away not knowing that the news that he had to give to, the, to him was one that he had a great inheritance. Christian, may I tell you this? You've been given a great inheritance. And Joshua and the people of Israel were about to be given a great inheritance. But look right here. Paul's from taking notes. You have to claim your inheritance. You have to actually take hold of of what God has given you. And the people of Israel here, they need to, needed to understand exactly what it is that God had promised them and how to possess it. But Joshua had a problem. Joshua was about to lead with the help of these people uh, and with the help of these, these people claim a possession that was already given to them. What is the possession here? The promised land, right? Their, their permanent dwelling. The place where there would be the land that flowed with what and what? Milk and honey. I like milk. I like honey. It's good, right? Not only that, but there were plants there that they had never gardened, but other people had. 
There were buildings there that had been built that God promised that they would dwell in, but they didn't build them. God said, I've set this place up for you. Everything's ready to go. Possess it now. Have the faith, have the courage to possess it. But Joshua needed some encouragement to lead. I want you to notice the definition of biblical encouragement. The definition of biblical encouragement. And Christian, I want you to get this in your mind now, and I want you to remember this the rest of your life. Okay? Because the word encouragement might not mean what you think it means. Sometimes we think a word means something, and then we realize it's got a completely different connotation, right? It's got a completely different meaning. Here is the definition. Encouragement is the act of giving courage. Sounds simple, right? Encouragement is the act of giving courage or confidence of success. It's an incentment to action or to practice. It's an incentive, right? Uh, but mainly it's an act of giving encouragement. Encouragement is literally, if you want a simpler definition or a more wordy one that's in my words, encouragement is literally someone placing courage inside of you. Okay, so uh, if I were to encourage someone out in the audience tonight, right, if I were to encourage one of you, it wouldn't sound like this, right? This isn't real encouragement. Jace, I like your new hairstyle. That's cute, right? That is not encouragement. You say, but it made me feel good. That's not what encouragement means, okay? This is what encouragement is, okay? This is what God was telling to, jo- this is what God was telling to Joshua. Joshua, I want, you, I want to encourage you in this way. I want to place courage inside of you so that you are more courageous in your life. Okay, so uh, Peyton, you want to be a preacher. So encouragement looks like me going to Peyton and saying, Peyton, if you live your life for God now, and you truly are serious about following him, and you get in his word every day, and you're studying, and you're serious about sermon preparation, you're going to make it as a pastor, and one day you're going to pastor or evangelize many people. Just stick with it. Stick with it. That is me putting courage in him. Right? CJ, you're about to go to college. Right? And you might be scared of going to college, and you might be worried about uh, what kind of friends you might make. You're going to make friends. You're going to do great in college. You're going to have a great life. Trust me, if you just follow God down there, God's going to direct your path. He's going to give you a wife one day. He's going to give you all those things in his timing. Just be patient and wait on him. That is placing courage in CJ. Right? Do you guys understand that? That you're literally putting in someone. And has, has someone ever come up to you and encouraged you? Not just said it made you feel good. Right? Anyone can make someone else feel good by just saying something that's not very meaningful. Encouragement has a meaning. Do you guys know what I mean? So here is God placing courage inside of Joshua. Uh, Can we go back to the first point? Huh? Uh, The arrow that goes back. There you go. Okay. All right, so let's look at these encouragements tonight. Let's look at some. uh, By the way, here's some examples. You don't have to write that first one down yet. But God, I'm sorry, I'm going pretty long tonight, so I understand why you already be on point two. I haven't even started my point yet. Uh, God knew that Joshua had been courageous before. By the way, God had already used Joshua in battle. Uh, Moses had already trusted him uh, with the battle of Ai, and Moses had assigned to him many tasks. God personally picked Joshua to lead these people in victory, but God knew that Joshua in this passage needed some courage, and he needed some strength. He needed something special from God for him to continue and to lead these people. So let's notice this evening four needed encouragements. Four needed encouragements. First of all, let's look at the encouragement through God's promises. What did God promise? What kind of courage did Joshua put in uh, through promise him something? Let's look at verses number two and four again. Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Joshua, you can't follow Moses anymore. You are now the leader. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give thee, even to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you, as I said unto Moses. God had given him some things. First of all, what did God promise uh, Joshua? God promised that he'd be able to go over the Jordan. By the way, there was no easy way to go over Jordan from where he was. Does anyone know what Joshua ended up doing whenever he got to Jordan? We'll discuss that later. All right, so we'll save that. Uh, God promised they go into the promised land also in verse number two. He promised Joshua, you will physically, with these people, enter into the promised of land. This had the promised seal from God, right? You are going to do this. He promised, uh, God promised that everything that they stepped on, they now possessed. It was theirs. It was now their land. And God promised them all of the land. In verse number four, he says, all of this land that's in the middle of three continents, that has all of these possessions, that has all of this wealth and prosperity, this is going to be your land if you'll just enter it and if you'll just possess it. Have you ever been promised something only to be let down? Man, I remember all through my childhood having promises given to, man, there is nothing more unjust to your soul than someone promising something to you and then not pulling through and then doing it on purpose. Do you guys know what I mean? I remember one time, I didn't grow up in the, in the best of homes later in life, but I remember one time my parents were split up. They were living at two different locations. And my dad had decided to pick me up. He had decided to pick me up for uh, just a weekend stay, just a Saturday and a Sunday, and he was going to drop me off Sunday evening. And I remember him picking me up. He, he went there, and I was waiting at the door, right? Probably a 12-year-old kid. I wanted to go. He, he lived at a car lot. He had a little apartment there uh, that he owned at, at the car lot that he owned. It was just cool to be around there. I had my own car that I could drive around the car lot. And just hanging out with Dad was just cool. right? So I was excited about it. I got in the car, and then all of a sudden we got to the car lot, and my dad received a call. He had promised that I could stay all weekend. And my dad got a call, and he said, hey, i got to bring you back. I can't keep you this weekend. What a soul-crushing thing. Those are things that we remember for life, right? Those are things, and you've had promises given to you that were broken, and you'll always remember them, right? We don't keep bitterness about them, but we always remember the disappointment of an unbroken promise. Teenager, look right up at me. God keeps his promises. And God here promises some amazing things to Joshua, but let me tell you this, teenager. God has even greater promises for you. You may look at Joshua verses 2 through 4 and think, man, that's great that he promised Joshua some things, but God's not promised me anything. Well, in fact, you have greater promises than Joshua. As a New Testament Christian, you have greater promises. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If you trust in God, God's going to give you everything you need. 2 Peter 1, 4, whereby are, whereby are given unto us exceeding and great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Titus 1, 2 clears that op, up. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Philippians 4, 13, another promise of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Speaking through Paul. John 3.16, the main promise that, that goes back to two of these references, for God so loved the world, 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christian, you have a greater promise than Joshua. Did you know that Joshua could not trust in Christ as his Savior with the clarity that you can? Why? Christ hadn't come yet. Do you know how much of the Word of God Joshua had? Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's it. That's all he had, and we'll talk about that in a moment. All the promises that we have been given. God has given us greater promises. So don't just look at the book of Joshua and say, how is this applicable to me? Look at the promises Joshua has given and realize you've been given even greater promises from the very same God. Also, he gave him, secondly, encouragement through assured victory. The land was there for the taking. But guess what? Battles had to be fought to take it. God had promised the land, but it wasn't as if the people just had to lazily walk in or with wheelchairs just slide in or on hoverboards just slide in and say, all right, it's my land. No, there were battles to be fought. There were evil people in their way, and God assured victory over, verse number 5, powerful enemies. Verse number 5 says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. God says, Joshua, there's going to be some great enemies before you, but none of them can stand before you. There's going to be some great conflicts that come, but as I was with Moses, so am I with you. God also assured them that he would never forsake them. The Hebrew here in verse number 5, as you read, As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. The I will not in this passage in the Hebrew is repetitive, meaning that it's supposed to be repeated three times. And basically what God was saying to Joshua was that, I will not, I will not, I will not forsake you. Joshua, I'm not going to leave you. Joshua, I'm here with you. I'm here with you in the battles. I'm here with you in the good times. I'm here with you in the bad times. What a promise. Also a promise that God would divide the inheritance of the land that had been promised to their fathers as they would give them. God gave some wonderful promises to the people. However, God promise, uh, God's promises to these people were contingent upon their obedience to Him. Right? Just because God promises something to you does not negate your responsibility to follow God and fulfill your part of the promise. What do I mean by that? I think Spurgeon said it best. He says, Joshua was not to use the promise as a couch upon which to, which to indolence or he, that he might luxuriate, but as a girdle wherewith to gird up his loins for future activity. Right? God was not promising Joshua, Joshua, here's everything. I promise you'll have it. Uh, just open this little box. Just obey me for a second, and it's yours, and it's the people of Israel's. No, 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 no. God said, this is your land. This is your possession. Be strong. Be courageous, Joshua, because it's going to take some battle. I've promised you the victory in each battle, but you're going to have to trust in me. We rest in the promises of God, but we also must work to see the promises of God revealed. Okay, what is the exception to this? Our salvation. Why? Because God, through Christ, has already done all the work. Jesus Christ has died on the cross. His blood has been shed. Every sin has been forgiven. We only need to put our faith in Christ from his finished work on the cross. We simply need to admit to God, Lord, I'm a sinner. 
Lord, I believe that you came, that you died for my sin, and Lord, I believe that you rose three days later, and, and, and now you are victorious over sin, you're victorious over hell, you're victorious over death. Jesus, take all my sins away and take me to heaven when I die. That is the only promise that doesn't require our work to fulfill. But the other ones require work, right? I'm not saying in order to be a Christian you have to work for your Christianity. No, no, no. But in order to follow Christ day by day by day, it takes work. It reminds me much of the armor of God, what God is saying to Joshua here. And actually the same language is used with uh, Paul in Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth, right? So Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You can have full armor put on by God to protect against all the wiles of the devil, but guess what you have to do, Christian? Put on the armor. It was the same with the people of Israel at this time that God was leading. They simply needed to possess their possessions. We must work for these victories. We have a great Victory in Christ, by the way. The fact that we are saved is a miracle of God. Not really a miracle. He, he's done the work, but it is a gracious miracle that God can save our souls simply because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, that we simply need to place our faith in Him. Thirdly, He gave Him encouragement through God's Word. Encouragement through God's Word. Man, if this isn't the most applicable uh, few verses in this passage, look at verse number 7 through 8. Only be thou... By the way... This is the second time that God is saying this to Joshua. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do all that is according to in the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That they mayest observe to do all that is according, uh, according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make the way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. What was the book of the law talking about? This was the first five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. This is all Joshua had. God says, keep my commandments, swear not, shall not depart out of thy mouth. By the way, this is a phrase I did not know the meaning of until recently. So when God says to Moses, or when God says to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, I had always thought that Joshua needed to shut up and he just needed to meditate on God's word and not speak it out loud. All right, let's read it again. In this King James language, sometimes we can get confused because the wording is different than we would use. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. God is actually saying here through Joshua, uh, God is actually saying to Joshua, Joshua, I don't want you ever to stop talking about my word. Joshua, I want you to talk about my word everywhere you go. Joshua, I want you to memorize my word. I want you to meditate on my word. Every time you speak, speak my word. Shall not depart out of thy mouth. And by the way, Christian, I'm going to skip some of my content here. We have been given so much more of the Bible than Joshua was. And if Joshua, by the way, Joshua probably had the Pentateuch memorized, right? Uh, Joshua probably knew all about the Word of God. Let me ask you this. How much of the Bible do you have memorized? Did you read your Bible today? Have you read your Bible this week? Have you read your Bible this month? Christian, we take for granted 
this right here. And especially Christian in America, we take this for granted. Uh, we're going to show a video of, of another country, and I can't remember how to say it, uh, where a Bible was dedicated uh, by Worldview Ministries. What's the name of that country? Huh? Yeah, it's in Uganda. So in Uganda, they didn't have this specific language. So I want you to watch this and see how these people respond when given their first copy of the New Testament in their language, by the way, which all of you just simply have in your hand tonight, and you have the Old Testament. There have been many, many books written by men, but only one book written by God. This was such great joy. I present the completed run recording your testimony. We want to review this precious word of God. New pastors ministering in this country. Be used for the glory of God. Seeing the people today as they received a copy of God's word, the spontaneous joy the singing that originated from the congregation, not being led by someone on the platform, and lifting their Bibles in the air and shouting praise to the Lord. I broke into tears. Um, I was just thinking about how blessed we are to have the scripture. You know, we just sometimes take it for granted and to see the joy on their face. I think you have seen even on their faces how they are happy, how they are rejoicing in raising that Bible up. To finally have something that now we can say, here it is, here's, here's God's word, and we can give it to them in their language. It's a huge moment. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Christian, I challenge you, get in the word of God. You have the complete word of God in your hand. It's given to you, right? We act like brats sometimes about this. Uh, we've, we've got it, so we're, we've got the whole Bible. We don't even care. It's there. Uh, I know it's got the truth in it, but I'm not really going to obey it. God encouraged Joshua to be in the word, be in the book of the law that it should not depart from your mouth, that you should meditate therein day and night, that you uh, not only meditate in it, but thou mayest observe to do all that is according that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God gives him the success map for life, right? He gives him the answer to life. He says, look, follow these laws, follow my commandments, and, and, and do what they say, and then you're going to have good success. What a responsibility Joshua had as a person who was supposed to be reading and talking about the Word of God. Um, in order to be victorious, he had to be a man consumed with the Word of God. We have the full Word of God, yet we read it so little. Let's be encouraged to read the Word of God today. And lastly, encouragement. How did God encourage Joshua? I'm done. Encouragement through God's presence. Verse number 9. Have not I commanded thee? Again, he says this. Lastly. Have not I commanded thee, 
Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for, thy, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. God is with Joshua. But teenager, let me know you. That I'm, I'm cutting a lot out of this message, a lot out of this content. We may come back to verse number 9 next time. But know this, Joshua had the presence of God, right? Joshua had God's presence, but God lives in you. Joshua had the daily presence of God, and that's wonderful, but guess what? You have something more. As a Christian, you literally have the Holy Spirit living in you. God has given us so many wonderful things, and God encourages Joshua, look, I'm here with you. Be strong, be courageous. I am here with you. I could feel his presence. I knew I wasn't alone. These were words spoken by a recent 90-year-old woman named Geneva Wood. She was on death's doorstep recently because of the coronavirus. She was on a ventilator. And as you know, people that have coronavirus, they're on ventilators. They cannot be seen by anyone of their family. And man, how sad of a time it is. I've been told by nurses that, that say that the only method of communication is that we, if we could somehow get hold of the family that has FaceTime or Skype, we bring iPads in for them to see each other for the last time. But many of these elderly people were not even able to say goodbye to their loved ones. Miss Geneva Wood, she was near death and had been completely alone. While suffering through the coronavirus, when asked what pulled her through, she survived. What pulled her through, she said, I knew I wasn't alone because God was with me. Christian, you are never alone. You are even more privileged than Joshua was because Joshua had the presence of God, sure, but the presence of God lives within you. When the Christian life gets hard, be strong, be courageous, focus on God. He's given us some great promises. He's given us some great things in our life to claim. He's given us the very word of God, and he's given us his very presence living within us. God gave Joshua some pretty great promises, but God's given you greater. Don't take it for granted. Go out of this place today. Look, teenager, be strong. Be courageous. Not in yourself. The world tells you, hey, you've got this taken care of, right? I've got this. No, God's got this. Let me encourage you. Let me put some courage in you, teenager. You can live a successful Christian life. Yes, you. You can. Get in the Word of God. Meditate on it. Talk to God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Let Him guide you. Let Him guide you. Let's pray.